Ledger is a writing podcast and maybe a journey into psychedelia. I'm your host, Austin Wilson. Today I'm chatting with debut novelist David Connor. That's right, debut novelist. And in fact, his book is out today, August 1st, 2023, from Melville House. The book is Oh God, the Sun Goes. David and I chatted a couple of months ago, I think, at this point about his first novel and that he's always, in fact, been writing. Um, but we talk about how. You know, it felt to write his first novel, to have it come out. He actually has an undergrad degree in neuroscience, and during that time in school, he, he took a writing workshop with the writer Maggie Nelson. Uh, we also talk about something that's kind of becoming a touchstone for the show, and he mentions the genesis of his novel that kind of started with a few sentences that he wrote on his phone. And uh, I've, I've talked about this a few times in the past with, with guests and sort of asked, hey, do you write on your phone? Because I had heard a lot of people saying that. And I've actually started writing a lot more on my phone, uh, even more so than the last time I maybe mentioned it. I, I kind of can't remember at this point, but I've turned out to kind of enjoy it. Anyway, David and I talk about the, the perspective of the story. We talk about how he utilizes the passage of time and, and our perception, the reader and just humans, of how time passes. And we also talk about whether or not his book is metafictional. And is it? you should read it and then maybe figure that out. We do tiptoe up to some stuff that, that David says he, he kind of doesn't want to dive too deeply into for fear of, of giving away the magic trick, including the aforementioned psychedelia slash psychedelics. Um, if you read Oh God, the Sun Goes, let me let David know uh, what you think about it. Uh, it's a book where the entire sun disappears, uh, literally, and in the sky. just It's gone. Uh, and everyone's kind of just totally okay with it or at least not as freaked out as they maybe should be. Things sort of just kind of continue on. Uh, read the book. Hit me up at austinrwilson.com. There's a contact form. You can reach out to me through there. Pick up David's book wherever books are sold, uh, even at my affiliate link on bookshop.org. That's a great way that you can support the show and get some fantastic books at the same time. Uh, if I've ever interviewed someone uh, and their work is available via Bookshop, it'll be on my curated affiliate link list. Please rate and review this show wherever you can, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those places. And then tell other people that you think would maybe like it. I, that really, really helps. All of those things really help get the show into other people's ears. Uh, but as for now, here is my chat with novelist, first-time novelist, debut novelist, David Connor, author of Oh God, the Sun Goes. Mostly I, because it's a first novel. Your first novel, debut novel, uh, which is exciting. And I know all of the work that goes into to making a book become a thing. Um, so I'm super interested to know what's the first, what's the first moment you can remember working on what was going to be turn into, Oh God, the sun goes, what's the first thing you remember working on? Yeah, I do. I remember, um, I think it was May and I just graduated from Cal arts where I did, um, grad school for writing. And so May, 2022, 2021, this was, uh, May, 2017 2017 oh wow yeah um and it just started as a sent well it started as the title uh oh god the sun goes um and then a few sentences came out on my phone uh yeah like a paragraph and I, it just gave me this atmosphere and this feeling that felt like room to move in yeah and the the sort of I didn't know where it was going. And for a long time in the writing of it, I didn't know where it was going. I, I think in some ways that might even come across in its sort of experimental form. Um, but yeah, I remember I just graduated 2017. The title was there and then a, a, the, the first few sentences. And then I like put it aside for a year and came back to it. Um, but that's where it started. So are those first few sentences, the sentences that ended up becoming the first sentences yeah. in the book? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, how did you, how did you feel over all those years mm. having those main, having those become the first and stay the first? It was that a struggle. Were you second guessing yourself? You know, no, I, I really, um, 
for whatever reason, those opening sentences just gave me this feeling that was the book. Yeah. And so there was a way in which like, there was no way that they could go in my mind. I certainly edited like that first paragraph later sure. on. Um, but yeah, I think I, I tend to like, I'm a writer who tends to like over self critique as opposed to like, let it fly. And so I think I just had such a, like a conviction with those lines that I like didn't let myself consider ever taking them out. Yeah. That's a big, well, I mean, that's a big gap between writing it in 2017 and then having it uh, still be uh, the first, the first words in the book. So that's definitely conviction uh, yeah. stuck with it. Um, <laughs> sure. So, you, so how long, this is your first novel, like we said, but no, like I'm assuming you've been writing for your entire life. Uh, sure. in some form or another. Tell me a little bit about that and kind of the the ways that you've used writing to get to this point. Mm. Yeah, I have I have been writing in some sense my whole life, although my path to it has been a bit circuitous just in my, you know, my undergrad uh, degree was in neuroscience. Um, and I grew up, my family, no one around me were really writers or artists. That just wasn't like a world that I could imagine like legitimately um, going into. Um, and so, I, yeah, I went into neuroscience, I think because I was just interested in the mind and human experience. But yeah. I, was, I was figuring maybe I'd do it through some sort of uh, potentially like um, uh, traditional or like lucrative means or something sure <laughs> becoming a doctor or building some sort of scary ai um, right and uh it really wasn't until um halfway through my undergrad that um i i i began to realize that writing was just what i wanted to do it was the thing that felt good as as a process um yeah. Yeah. And generally it's not a like, you know what, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to be a writer. <laughs> like <laughs> that's not normally the, the no. way that you figure it out. But how, I mean, how, what was the, t tell me about that, that process. What happened that you realized, you know, neuroscience, cool, but writing way cooler. Yeah. I just remember I was in this like intro to chem lab where we were draining liquid through a crucible. And I was just so bored. And I remember, <laughs> I remember leaving the lab and going back to my dorm uh, and just like eating a burger and just like relaxing. And then I like, ended up going back an hour later to see if the thing had drained and it like hadn't at all. And at the same time, I was, um, I was in a writing workshop um, with the writer Maggie Nelson. She was teaching at, at my undergrad at that time. And yeah, I just, you know, I would be in this chem lab and I'd be like writing like sentences and poems down on my like, in my lab journal. Um, and so I think it, it just sort of, uh, I just, I just kind of moved in that direction. Um, and yeah, it, it just sort of kind of came naturally as this kind of instinct. What, and was the instinct to write fiction? I mean, you said you were writing poems and, and ideas and stuff, but you yeah. know, from a, you're in a, a neuroscience um, undergrad, were you thinking, man, I, I need words on the page and where was fiction in regard to, to the thing you're reaching for? Yeah, I think, I think at first it was poems in undergrad just because there's something about that form that's brief. I didn't have time to write stories. Um, and it's it's just such a different mode than the scientific method. It's so affective and, you know, there's so many ways you can explore feeling with it. I do remember I was kind of on the side writing this short story, too. That was just like a totally deranged, uh, like, strange kind of like stoner story <laughs> um, <laughs> that was really fun. Um, so it was kind of both happening at once. And I, I, I think even with this book, you can see a kind of like interest in the sort of poetic, lyrical or poetic sensibility of words, not just as means to a plot, but also as uh, as a way to build mood, as a way to 
experiment with sound and the kind of materiality of language. We've said a couple things already that uh, sort of line up with one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Um, talking about being bored watching the liquid through the crucible, <laughs> um, writing poetry because of the the briefness of it or that mm-hmm. that time. And that is a thing that I picked up on in your book. And mm-hmm. specifically, you you use paragraph breaks and page formatting as a mm-hmm. way to denote the passage of time, also through the narration of, of the character. And I really wanted to talk about that function of mm-hmm. using those paragraph breaks as a way to denote time passing or as a way to denote something about time. In some cases, it means it's going faster. In some cases, it's drawing itself out. There is some some dialogue and some narration that hints at that, uh, the character's perception of time. Talk to me about how you, was that something instinctual? Did you think about that a lot? And was that there with the idea from the beginning? Yeah, that's a good question. I do, I do think I have a, a, a special attention to um, to spacing on the page. Um, and I do think that comes from generally a more kind of, uh, lyrical or poetic attention to the page than traditional narrative storytelling. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the book I've written, I, you know, it's set in the desert. There's a, a, there's just a sense of loss and this kind of emptiness, this, uh, you know, uh, the, the sense of a sort of cataclysm that exists below the surface, below each line, below each paragraph, below kind of each character's story. And I think the, those spaces on the page, those sudden jumps in time, those lapses in time, those like idiosyncratic movements of time were part of, were, were sort of my way of getting into the atmosphere of this world, which is just kind of full of gaping holes that, um, that are kind of everywhere. And so I think, yeah, I think that's right. And what you're picking up on is this, these, yeah, these sort of pockets of space that pop up both as, as literal space on the page, but then as, as jumps in time for sure. Yeah. I, it it definitely comes across. Um, and having some of the characters talk about, um, how seconds feel like minutes and, and that they can then feel like an hour, but it snaps back to, to feeling like a second again, it really does lend itself to, to seeing the page that way with those gaps in the, in the, the Mm. paragraphs. Um, and also I like what you said there about what's missing because it is about the sun being completely gone, uh, and it's just missing. Is that, so did you think when you first started, I'm going to space it out like this, or is it just something that you noticed that you liked visually? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, yeah, it wasn't so much that I liked it visually. It was that, um, I think when I, when I wrote this, that I had a sort of, there was a tempo to it. Yeah. To the pacing of the sentences, to the pacing of the story. And it, it was almost just part of kind of the score in a way that, I, I wrote a paragraph and then I just kind of felt this space <laughs> and I, I probably just hit an extra, um, an extra, uh, paragraph break, um, without thinking too much about it. Yeah. Just cause it felt right. Yeah. Well, the, another thing you said right there, um, the score music plays a big part into how some of these characters are defining themselves, how they're interacting with each other, how the reader's interacting with the story. Let's talk about, and you've also mentioned, you know, the musicality and the lyricism of, of writing the book the way that it is. Let's talk about music and it's uh, the ways that it has informed the story, because we have Bill Withers showing up. We have, you know, other other lyrics and songs showing up. Are those songs that you gravitated toward just because of their thematic connections? Tell me the the connections that they have to, to what you're writing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it did start with that the, those Bill Withers lyrics in that opening scene where they're in the diner and that song comes on. And I like it in part because it's so recognizable, that song. Yeah. Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone. And um, and it's just kind of so on the nose in this kind of way that I found weird. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I like, I, I, I tend to gravitate towards the weird as a kind of aesthetic virtue. And I, I yeah, I just, something about those lyrics uh, and this house just ain't no home anytime she goes away. I just felt like that was the book, the sort of like the unheimlich or the uncanny or this kind of sense in which this world is a, is a, is, is um, unfamiliar as a result of this kind of loss uh, that's occurred. And so to be honest, I'm just, I love music. I'm just a huge fan of music and it, it does a lot for me to bring these lyrics in and to even vaguely hear in the back of my head as I read them what what they sound like when Bill Withers sings them and it helps bring me into that mood. And so I think more than anything, these songs whose lyrical content are kind of really on the nose for the book are also just a way for me to like vaguely hear some like musicality as I'm envisioning a scene or whatnot. Yeah, I, I think also, you know, we are, everyone uses music to to humanize each other or almost as like markers to be like, oh, you like that song? I like that song. Here we yeah. are. And I did find it true that a human would be like, I'm going to put on this Bill Withers song because the sun disappeared. <laughs> and it talks about how there ain't no sunshine and that's hilarious. So I'm going to get up and dance. And it did humanize the characters because we, we, we do do those things. Yeah, I certainly do. I do that. Thankfully it doesn't annoy the people around me uh, (laughs) that I know. I don't, I don't think it does, but yeah, I'll just, I'll be the guy who kind of just puts a song on his phone at like a given moment. Uh, And yeah, so yeah, it is, it is just the way to kind of bring, bring that into a space. Yeah. The, um, so the very first thing I thought of when I, when I was reading the book, it's about the sun disappearing, which is a massive premise. So the entire sun disappears, this thing that literally makes it so that we can be alive. And that premise is huge that I was curious why you chose the perspective for the characters that you did, because that's a premise that very easily lends itself to third person mm-hmm. uh, omniscient. And that's not where your your story goes or how it tells us. It's, it's it's not exactly that cut and dry, but I don't want to say too much for, for the people who haven't read it yet. Sure. But tell me about how you arrived at defining the perspective the way that you did through these first person. In some cases, it almost feels like a like an oral biography kind of where there are these mm. like snippets of dialogue where people are just talking. Uh, tell me about how the perspective mm-hmm. was generated for, for this for the for the mm. book yeah i think that's a good point and a good question it is yeah the, the sort of premise of the sun disappearing in some way would present that kind of third person maybe speculative maybe kind of sci-fi treatment of a story where you would theoretically go into the details of how this world works and how it's possible that people are existing in a sunless world but i think what what i ultimately was interested in was both the kind of blurring of a sort of metaphorical and literal space and how that rupture that is blurred between the physical world and the kind of internal world, how this rupture of a son's disappearance um, affects, um, works in a kind of symbolic or symbolic way. I mean, the metaphor of the son going missing or, or son as the sort of metaphor for love or life or whatnot is a kind of central image. Um, I think I was just much more interested in uh, exploring the kind of symbolism and internal reality of the sun missing. And I think the sun also in this story, literally missing physically helps establish this strange blurring of reality and and, uh, internal life that is in a way symptomatic of, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but sure, yeah. <laughs> I, feel no. like, I feel like writing is a bit like being a magician and that like, you yeah. don't really want to like reveal your trick or give your take too much of, of what you oh, think yeah. you're doing. But no, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, but I think, yeah, simply enough, it's, it, it was, I was much more interested in what it felt like for the sun to be missing than for it to, um, than to consider the sort of sci-fi ramifications 
of, of this world. Yeah. And the, there's a part in the book where their narration talks about how people are still driving their cars. They're still going to work. Right. You know, the, 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 the concept of the sun disappearing has not ended everyone's life, uh, which is shocking that no one seems shocked. They're just like, yeah, well, I got to go to the grocery store. And that was one of the things that I latched onto is, is cause it reads almost to me like a detective story mixed with this sort of speculative existential like mm-hmm. journey. Does it, did it feel that way as you were writing it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I like, I like those to- two modes at once or the detective story and the sort of existentialist story because they can kind of compound to just create this sense of stupefaction or can, yeah. or, 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 or mysticism or that as we're trying to understand this world, as we're trying to understand these characters, the character or the, the protagonist himself is a detective in a way. And so, yeah, I think, I think that that's exactly it. I, I did want to write a kind of existentialist detective story that involved kind of trying to understand both uh, trying to understand how who one is how the mind works and and you know what's gone on in this world and uh there's a blurb on it from jonathan letham it actually reminds me of a couple of of things that i've read of his gun Mm -hmm. with occasional music in chronic city there are Mm -hmm. these couple parts of it that sort of reminded me of some of those things and the the you've sort of already touched on it a little bit but the metaphorical and and the surreal surreality of the story that you're telling layered on top of this search right yeah yeah no i mean i love i love jonathan lethem's writing and and i do i love that aspect of his writing that he i mean he he has written these sort of strange slipstream detective adjacent detective stories that that I, I love yeah yeah they're yeah I do too they're fantastic one thing I wanted I was curious about I I didn't even know if I was gonna ask is there an aspect of metafiction to mm. this and if this is one of those magician questions that's totally fine <laughs> but the the thing no. that I noticed is it's dedicated to M mm. and then there's a character that shows up called M. Yeah. And I was just curious about that line blurring of who am I listening to talk and where's where's that line of reality actually shifting from? Yeah. Yeah, I think thank you for reminding me to be a magician because I think I might <laughs> on that. Yeah. Um, but I will say that I kind of am so inclined to metafiction that I have to like stop myself. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I just I've always I've always loved metaphysical gestures in writing, I, like Borges or I remember reading this play, Luigi Pirandello, I think is his name. I'm probably messing that up, but it's it's called Six Characters in Search of an Author, and and you know Italo Calvino can do it too, and I love Italo Calvino, and I I do. I, I'm so inclined towards metafiction, but I, I feel like it can be kind of too self-conscious or too kind of whatever that yeah. uh, that I have to kind of restrain myself. Um, but it ends up always somewhere in whatever I write. I See, think. that's so interesting because I am on the opposite side of that coin. When okay. I write, I want to disappear myself. I want okay. no crossover. And even to the point where it's become an in-joke with my friend group that if any metafiction or meta storytelling or self-referential stuff appears in a story, they are immediately like side-eyeing, like, oh, is Austin going <laughs> to revolt? Like, is this the thing that's going to turn it off for him? But I mean, one, I wanted to ask about it just because as I was reading your book, I didn't get that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing that that connection between the dedication and the character did make me wonder. And I've read metafiction before that I, that I really liked some Jonathan Ames stuff, mm-hmm. city of glass, you know, some, some other weird stuff where the char- the author shows up and he's running around with the characters. I'm curious what, uh, 
what draws you to metafiction? What what makes it always want to show up on on the page for you? It's a great question. I mean, I'm glad that you didn't get too much metafiction. It means I sort of suppressed it well. Yeah. Um, yeah. What draws me to it? It's a great question. Um, I mean, I think I, I just I, I I think the act of writing, the act of creation, is so interesting that when that in some way becomes the subject of the story, I'm into it. I think also. Yeah, it's a, I'd have to think harder about it. I mean, I think as I've gotten older, I've drifted further away from like liking it as much because I feel like sometimes it just feels a little like self-conscious. Yeah. Do you think it's impossible to take yourself out of the story? I guess that's it. There's there's something about metafiction that in some way feels like honest or you're sort yeah. of tipping the reader off to the artifice of it all that you're not necessarily claiming that your story... You're, you're sort of showing the nuts and bolts a bit. And I kind of like that. I like when you can, when a story can acknowledge its own artifice and its own, you know, what it's built on in these ways that doesn't pull you out of it, but that isn't trying to totally deceive you into thinking uh, there's not someone kind of pulling the levers behind it all. Yeah. Uh, I think I like that. There's a kind of, um, there's, there's a wink at the reader that like we're in on something together that I like. Yeah. Well, that's um, sort of oddly connected to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is the presence of God within your story. Uppercase G, lowercase G, all the, all the different iterations and the idea of who's pulling those levers um, mm. and who is directing. Mm. And I read an advanced reader copy, so potentially I, this is all just based on the advanced reader copy I have. And maybe I was paying too much attention. I mean, just reading every single page and, and seeing your acknowledgments and, and everyone you're acknowledging and God's in there, lowercase g. And that got me thinking about God as a character within the story, but in an almost non-denominational, the universe as God story mechanism almost. Is that total crazy, like just off the charts bullshit or... <laughs> Is your take the idea that God is a character in some way? In some way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because many characters talk about where the sun went, what happened to the sun, it's hiding, mm-hmm. um, the search for the sun, and I don't want to give too much away for, for readers, um, but answers that they may or may not find throughout the story really made me wonder if there was this character off the page um, mm. that is almost hinted at by the absence of where the sun was mm. that it was I, taken. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really like that reading. Um, I think that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I could see that for sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think the way God enters the story through me is, is the, the title. Yep. Oh God, the sun goes. And that, that kind of comes from more like God as, as a sound or as a kind of like exclamation of, uh, Oh God, as, as a sort of guttural feeling. And I think when I started writing the book, I was interested in language that came from that space of like language that, that kind of comes from almost like a pre-lingual space of, of feeling these like short words that are more, that can be sounds instead of words. And so I think my way in or God's way in to this story was as a sound and as like the way it feels to say, Oh God. But I do like, I like your idea of God being this kind of off screen, off the page character that is affecting the story in some way. That's really cool. I'm definitely, I think given to, well, I, for me, it's really fun to be like, oh, could it mean this? Could it mean this? And just think, Sometimes crazy things that would be fun if they were true. And I know, obviously, reader interpretation is a big part of stories being put out into the world. That was one of the ones that was one of the ways I interpreted it. Um, I think that's there. Yeah. I mean, I think I I wanted to write a a story that lent itself to multidirectional interpretations or I kind of in a kind of sick and twisted way wanted readers to be like spun off into like a form of psychosis or like, um, or like these like lines of logic that I, I, I think I hope 
that the book spins people off into like crazy lines of logic to yeah. be honest um but not crazy just in a way that actually maybe some of those lines will kind of fall apart and be frustrating but some will lead someone somewhere and that'll be their own kind of road that they drove down based on the kind of car that I built for them and I, I do think I was interested in kind of writing a story that was more a car than a road in the sense that you don't need a map to read my story like the, I'm not trying to um, say something too specifically about like Heidegger's uh, Das Ein but if your mind takes you there then that's like what I was hoping for uh, or, yeah. or anywhere really that's a really interesting concept the that you're more interested in writing a car than a road. And especially because your book literally has a map inside it on some pages. <laughs> That's right. Which that makes me think even more about some of the, about some of the concepts and stuff that I was thinking of um, mm. that, that your book made me think about you do, you do see some of your neuroscience uh, background, I think make it to the page. Talk to me about research uh, that you had to do for the, for the book and ways that it contributed to what you ended up writing. Yeah. Well, as I said, I did my undergrad in neuroscience and I'm, I currently work in a neuroscience lab here in, in Canada that does research on psychedelics and altered states of consciousness. And so that's always just kind of somewhere in my mind. Yeah, the most of the research I did was neuroanatomy. I think I've, I've always sort of been interested in the brain as a map and these sort of distinct regions that have specific psychic functions. And I, I think when I studied neuroscience as with the heart of a writer, I was a bit frustrated by the scientific method or how kind of reductionist the sort of view of the mind became to me of these kind of discrete pockets that have these discrete functions and it kind of took the mystery out of it for me. And so I think as I've gone further, like down the writing path, I've become more interested in like mystifying these spaces and kind of making them a bit more opaque. Yeah. And so I think as far as the research goes, a lot of it was just recalling what I had learned in undergrad and I sort of, I sort of wanted to write a story where it wasn't necessarily a magic school bus where all of a sudden we're in a brain, but rather, you know, the way a certain novel might be set in the civil war, this was set in a mind kind of, yeah. and, and neuroanatomy more as kind of atmosphere and landmarks than as a kind of sci-fi exploration. So I think once I figured that out, it, it, the story kind of moved through these spaces more just as names and landmarks than as like necessarily trying to like elucidate any kind of neuroscientific knowledge necessarily. I guess maybe to almost put too fine a point on it, how closely mm -hmm. related are psychedelics to the genesis of this story? <laughs> <laughs> and literally or um, let's go literally first. <laughs> I might have to put my magician hat on. <laughs> uh, uh, let's go metaphorically then. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a psychedelic novel, um, yeah. psychedelic in the sense of the mind looking in on itself. I didn't want to write like a stoner novel. Like I, I didn't want to write like guy takes shrooms, goes in a car and thinks <laughs> right. he's Jack Kerouac. <laughs> right. Um, but I have always been interested in the, the, the kind of foibles and like illusions of human consciousness and the gap between reality and our perception of it. And so I think you know, psychedelics can really bring that out. And I, I sort of wanted to write a story that did that without being like a hip shroom book, right? But, but kind of a more like serious investigation of these trippy lapses. Well, there's a part in the book that I think touches on that. Someone is, there's a part where someone's talking about sight and vision and mm -hmm. not being able to see vision itself the the act of seeing and that is that's related i think to the question for me of well one a mind looking at itself can it even perceive like and also related back to the metafiction thing like are you even capable of of writing yourself uh in a way that seems true to others or is it just like look there's a there's a funny made-up austin in this story austin wrote <laughs> 
Yeah, to the to the point of the the idea that the eye can theoretically see any point except for the point from which it's looking is is a concept borrowed from the French phenomenologist Merleau-Ponty, who yeah. I was kind of put onto by a friend here in Canada named Sam Wellay. And it, yeah, it is like a, a kind of perfect way of expressing the invisibility or the kind of breakdown of logic that comes about when you try to see yourself or who the I is, either E-Y-E or the capital I, I. Yeah. And so I do think in, in some way the, the, the book is is interested in trying to solve these impossible logics. And that's kind of one of them, locating the self or locating a, you know something that's gone, such as the sun, which seems kind of impossible yeah. to find, uh, even though our narrator thinks he can. And so, yeah, I think there is something to that concept that that spoke to this kind of impossible quest. So that's very <laughs> deep on on like deep on on layers where it's not just the sun's <laughs> missing. Oh, what are we gonna do? There's a lot more going on, which means I'm I'm really interested in the actual nuts and bolts of sure. putting words on paper. How did you? maintain the story going forward as you're writing and literally were you writing it longhand were you writing it on a computer how did you maintain your thread on the story as you were writing it and the 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 real good details about yeah, what were well, you even writing with almost exclusively on the computer there's something romantic about handwriting but i, I, I can't it's too slow for me and my yeah. handwriting is too bad but yeah i mean a lot of the book was actually written in these kind of semi semi conscious states, generally uh, in the middle of the night. Like I would wake up with a scene. Like I had there's there's literally a, a chapter in the book that I kind of dreamed from beginning to end, and it's the chapter in the diner in Tempe, not the first one, but the second one. I'm not going to give too much away about it, but that sort of just came as a dream and I woke up in the middle of the night and just kind of wrote it and it didn't change that much. <laughs> and so that, that was part of the process was kind of finding these like semi lucid states to, to kind of tap into this like fuzzy blurry psychic space that, that the narrator exists in. So is that something you were like planning on and, and cultivating? It kind of just happened. I mean, I think I, I was living in the world of this book. It, it, it was kind of, I was just thinking about it kind of obsessively. And so it would appear in my dreams and maybe I'd been like working on that chapter and it wasn't quite right. And then I'd go to sleep and it would kind of come out right or something. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's also, I wrote it entirely sequentially. I don't really know how to write any other way. I, uh, and I wrote it for the most part without knowing what it was or where I was going. I didn't have an outline. And it wasn't until maybe halfway through that I started to like think ahead, but it was, it was really truly experimental in the sense of kind of forging forward, uh, on the open road without knowing where we were going. Do you remember when you felt mm. that you were finished? A couple times, a couple times. That's a good question. It's been, it, I felt I was finished a couple times. It's hard to locate one time. Yeah. I, I still almost don't feel like I'm finished, even though <laughs> well, that was, uh, I was going to ask that because debut novel carries a lot of, you know, weight and fears and all, all kinds of stuff, but feeling finished or, or feeling that you've accomplished the thing mm -hmm. that you set out to accomplish. Do you feel that at all that you, that you accomplished it? Do I feel that I accomplished it? I think so. Yeah, I do. I think it's helpful that I, it was this sort of experimental uh, process wherein it's not like I had certain benchmarks to hit in a certain way. I kind of wrote it and then what it became is what it was. I, I'm lucky to like still like it, I think, or to like be proud of it. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, you know, edited it so much that the, the fact that it still holds something for me feels like an accomplishment. And so you mean you specifically edited it? Yeah, just, you know, I, I, I've gone through it enough and turned over chapters in my head and to the point where, you know, I know sentences like the back of my hand, which can kill it, but I, I, there's still something like right. really there for me. And I think 
ultimately, I just wanted to create an atmosphere um, and something that kept you in it. And, and it, and it does that for me when I read it. So I'm, I'm happy with it. How many times do you think you've read it? <laughs> oh God. I don't know. An embarrass an embarrassing number of times. Well, I think it's something that readers don't always think about, especially if they are like maybe talking to the author or interacting with a book in some way other than just reading it, that it's not just like, Oh, I wrote it and then I gave it to this person and they published it. Like, the journey is much longer with a lot more uh, steps in it and rereading it, editing it, even before you get an, an actual editor outside of yourself, there's just a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, at least a lot of writing is rewriting, yep. uh, writing a chapter, scrapping it, writing it again, editing it, writing it again. Did I read online that you also write code? Uh, I don't know what dark websites you're on where you'd learn that, but uh, I, my, yeah, I am in undergrad. My minor was in computer science. Uh, I don't code anymore. Thankfully, that's another thing that I would have dreams about when I was like in coding, I would like dream of like if and for loops and those are not pleasant dreams. <laughs> so what's funny is I just started learning JavaScript okay. two weeks ago. Okay. Um, I know a little Python and by a little, I mean like the littlest. Sure. But I, it's one of the things that I thought of when I was looking at how your book deals with time mm. and how those if thens, else ifs, loop statements, all those things. Mm. And weirdly, I've started thinking of some of the stories that I work on, trying to think about them in ways where it's like, if this happens, then this happens, which is mm. not, you know, revel revelatory by any means. But I am curious about the the connection between writing code wow. and writing fiction, especially hearing what you just said, which is you rewrite a chapter, then you get rid of it. Mm. it seriously, the thing I was thinking of is me trying to make the JavaScript code that I was writing last week for this crappy little program where I'm rewriting all these lines of code and running it and really that's almost the same as me writing a chapter and then reading it and being like, Nope, do it again. Yeah. Is, do you think you're using those same portions of your brain or have you pushed away from coding? And <laughs> it's a great question. I've definitely pushed away from coding. It, it hurt my brain. Um, yeah. and it was, uh, it was not for me. Um, but I do, there's something about editing and writing code that like, feels similar. I mean, I, it, I think, and I wonder if you can relate to this, but I feel like obviously so much of writing is creative and expressive, but a lot of it is just like problem solving. A lot of it yeah. is figuring out which word will work where based on the grammar of the sentence and the way it sounds and what happened a page before there's, there is like a kind of data structure that, that is writing and that like involves, I think, like a mathy or sciencey part of the brain. And so I do, I I I'd like to drift as far away from Python as I can at this point in my life. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that perhaps uh, it flexed that sort of muscle of problem solving and and thinking of writing as geometry, as shapes, as these problems of logic where it's not simply expression, but it's figuring out how to tweak something, which I often find editing to, to feel like that. Yeah, I do too. I agree with almost everything <laughs> you just said. Yeah. The, I mean, the big thing for me that, because I'm such an, a new person for, or I'm such a new coder or programmer, however you want to say it, that it's still exciting. Uh, I'm very excited yeah. by it. But the, the big thing that I've thought of when I first started this show and, and, wanting to talk to people who, who wrote one of the things I thought about was computer coding and whether there's elegance to, to that, to that style of writing and where it crosses over with the styles of writing that I'm much more comfortable with fiction and, and comic books, uh, all those things and just the ways that they inform each other. Um, but also uh, seeing what you're saying about like thinking about stories geometrically and shifting away from it's weird because it's like, it's kind of the same thing, but I don't really want to think about it as the same thing because I want to do something different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, uh, I'm sure, you know, really good coders 
are writers in the sense that there's an elegance, there's a simplicity to their code. It does what it needs to do, but it's a language. Coding is a language. It wasn't a language that I enjoyed, but I think for yeah. those for those who do, uh, it, it, it does seem like an art form in a way, a very like functional art form, but an art form. So what's next for you? I know that's a terrible question for a debut novelist, <laughs> yeah. but... Mm-hmm. How does your brain work and your your writing process work? Um, is this consuming the energy that you would normally be using to to write, um, or are you just still churning stuff out? Is what consuming like the 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 debut novel, the right. the idea of the story getting out there, the having to do like doing shows like this? Yeah. How how's your energy with with writing when when something like this is happening in your life? I'm excited. You know, I I wrote yeah? this book. Oh God, the sun goes without knowing if it would get published, without knowing if uh, what its life would be, and I think that is like a much harder state to be in then kind of feeling like, okay, I'm kind of doing it. And it still isn't real to me that anyone will read this book. Like it's so cool talking to you who's like read my (laughs) book, like someone I don't know who's like read it like clearly very well and very deeply. Like that's blowing my mind. Um, So I don't, it, it, it hasn't sunk in that anyone will really read my book yet. Like it all doesn't feel real. Um, So in a way I'm just, continuing to write um the way i always have um and i think it just like helps that i have a sense that you know a book can exist ultimately in the world just knowing that i think has has uh put some you know like energy into my process i'm writing another novel finishing up a short story yeah uh, i'm just it's yeah it's fun i just like to write so it doesn't you know it's sort of the same thing a bit easier do you ever feel tortured by writing <laughs> or no oh yeah um, yeah okay yeah, well, i was just is- curious hearing you say like i want to run away from python as much as possible and then <laughs> there was a part of me that was like shit he might never feel bad when he's writing and that's <laughs> not my experience so i was just so so curious if you if you ever feel that way no writing is utter hell it's like <laughs> Um, it's so much frustration. It's, it, yeah, it's so much frustration. It's so much failure it can be quite isolating. It can, it can get me very internal. I can kind of get into this internal zone and then I'll go hang out with a friend and they'll be like, is everything okay? <laughs> like what's going on with you kind of vibe. Um, but right now it's feeling good. Um, the writing, I think, like the sort of fresh energy of new projects. There's, there was something about the singularity of this book of knowing that I like needed to finish it, finish something, finish a book to put in the world was motivating, but also contributed to um, how frustrating writing can be. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to um, make writing more fun. Cause you know, if I'm going to do this with my life, uh, I want to live a good life. Um but it's hell. It's so hard. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder it's hell for you too. It is. Yeah. Um, it goes up and down. You know, I, I have those days that it doesn't feel that way. Um, I've talked to writers who are just like, no, why would I do it if it, if I didn't like it, Hmm. I love it. And I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) hats off. (laughs) I'm, I'm happy for you (laughs) because that, yeah, I mean, there are days where it's, probably the worst thing that I do to myself that day <laughs> is, is sit down to write. But it's the other, the other side of that is that I could stop and I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am actively trying to figure out how to make writing feel more joyous and lighter. I think it actually helps the writing when I can do that at the end, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's kind of psychological. It's not even about writing. It's just like, am I like avoiding my life or, you know, it, it's more, it's more just about how I'm showing up in the world. Yeah. So I think it's more, yeah. I think if I think of it in those terms and I go for a walk, it, it becomes lighter and more joyous. And I am feeling that way these days that it is lighter and more joyous. Um, a walk yeah. can seriously solve so many problems. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of my process. I, I love going on walks and 
legitimately it has helped me so many times, not even just to figure out or like solve a, a writing problem, but probably to unlock that part of me that is too precious or is, is fighting with myself to just be like, nah, man, just go for a walk. You're going to feel good. <laughs> just go do it. That's it. I mean, I think that's it. It's really, um, I can be one of those writers who will just kind of just try to write, even though I really shouldn't be writing. Like, uh, even, you know, it's like, I'm, I desperately want to feel, you know, like I've accomplished something or I've written enough sentences and it's really sometimes best to just take a walk and kind of almost absolve myself of that, like productivity need. Uh, yep. I do think the, the writing only really happens for me when it flows and when I'm, when it's effortless and obviously there's effort that goes into creating situations that are effortless. But, uh, but I think the only writing I ever do that's any good comes from a place of expression instead of like a place of, you know, trying to achieve something that day. I think that probably holds true for me too. And that's the other weird thing. It's, it's, it's different for everyone. You know, there are, I've seen authors talk about how they can't tell the difference between a bad day and a good day when they're rereading their writing. And sometimes that's true for me, but if it's a really bad day, then I can tell later. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not into that. <laughs> But in all of that is so is oh god the sun goes the the longest thing you've ever finished or had you written any novels or anything before this? No, I mean I'd I'd written almost yeah I'd written only short stories and um, this was the first novel length thing I'd written um, and so it was um, I think I, I feel a bit more confident writing this novel that I'm writing now um, just knowing what it takes to write something of that length. But yeah, that was the, that was the first novel that I'd ever written. Well, uh, it's out now from Melville House. Um, where uh, can people find you online? What's the best place that they they could go look you and your stuff up? I'm kind of off the grid, but I, I made an Instagram. <laughs> you can uh, follow me on Instagram at Oh God the Sun Goes. Okay. Yeah, I think that's that's where I'll that's about that's it. where I kind of post stuff. So check that out. Awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, readers, make sure you check out Oh God, the Sun Goes uh, by David Connor out from Melville House. Thanks, David. Yeah, thanks so much, Austin. This is cool. Oh God, the Sun Goes is out right now. It came out the day that this episode went live, August 1st, 2023, out from Melville House. Thank you very much to David for stopping by and chatting. It was super interesting. And hey, let me know what you guys think about the the metafiction. If you read the book, let me know what you think. Is it is it metafictional? Um, also, let me know what you think about the the psychedelic stuff. Give me your opinion on that. Go to austinrwilson.com. I've got a contact form there. You can find free stories, uh, links to some of my work that's been published online, and all kinds of fun stuff. So swing by there and then rate and review the show on any podcast platform that you can find it on. Tell people that you think would like the show. It would mean a lot to me. And then stop by bookshop.org. I'll have an affiliate link in the show notes for this episode and all other episodes. And that's a great way to support the show. Thank you again for listening. I really, really appreciate it.